hey, <laughs> uh, I need to work on more natural sounding voices when I'm recording these segments. Okay, let me try again. <laughs> hey, 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 everybody. <laughs> Did you know that you can get your You're Going to Die, the podcast episode a week early? It's true. All you have to do is become a patron on our Patreon website at patreon.com forward slash YG2D. And you can get next week's episode today, a week before everybody else, for as little as $2 a month. In fact, available right now is our next episode with singer-songwriter Dan Mangan. How was that? Was that natural? You're Going to Die, the podcast is brought to you by YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying, inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. To find out more, visit www.yg2d.com. You know what I especially love about this episode? It's that I didn't just have one guest on the show. I didn't just talk to Dr. Lucy Kalanithi. I got to spend some time with Paul Kalanithi too. And I hope, dear listener, you feel the same. If you've been compelled towards a conversation around death and dying and mortality, then you must have read or should have read the Pulitzer Prize-nominated book, When Breath Becomes Air, by Dr. Paul Kalanithi. And then also you should get how absolutely excited I am for this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. Hi, my name is Ned Buskirk. I am your host. Welcome. I met this episode's guest through Paul's book, When Breath Becomes Air. I was reading books instead of going to school because I didn't want to go to school. I'm starting You're Going to Die with these open mics. I'm, I'm volunteering for hospice here in the Bay Area. And I was reading voraciously to consume knowledge about what it means to die, about death and dying, about mortality. And When Breath Becomes Air, when that came out, I'm sure I read it hard copied and as soon as possible, when I read that book, yes, I didn't just meet Paul, and I mean that. I just, I just, I share emotion in this conversation with Lucy in a way that really is a measurement for how much it mattered to meet him there through such tremendously good writing and storytelling and a tremendous story. But I also met Lucy. I met Paul's nearest and dearest because of that book. I saw her at events after that. I saw her speak with B.J. Miller here in San Francisco. Because of how much this book matters to me, I have so wanted to talk to Lucy. And now I have a good reason to. And thank goodness she thought so too and said yes to being on the show. Dr. Lucy Kalanithi is a clinical associate professor of medicine at Stanford University and an advocate for patient-centered care. She is the widow of Dr. Paul Kalanithi, author of the number one New York Times best-selling memoir, When Breath Becomes Air, which was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize and translated into more than 40 languages, and for which she wrote the epilogue. Her award-winning podcast, Gravity, explores narratives of suffering and 
When you listen to her on this show, you'll know you need to go check her out on her own podcast. So do that for sure. She lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her funny fourth grader, Katie. I hope you enjoy this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Dr. Lucy Kalanithi. When Paul died, the manuscript for When Breath Becomes Air was like a Word document on his computer. And it was not in the world. And he was not like a famous writer. And on his headstone at the cemetery, I put Paul Kalanithi. And then like there's sort of a like descriptor and it says neurosurgeon and writer. Mm -hmm. And it has his dates. And then on the back, there's a like quote from a hymn. But I was like, can I put writer on here? And then I was like, well, he was a writer. Like he just was a writer. Like what whatever happens with this book, like he he was a writer. So I'm yeah. putting it. But it felt like a little bit like, okay, I'm just I'm putting it on there for him. And then like now he definitely is a writer. Um just sort of in a like a famous writer. I mean, not that he wasn't, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's like he's got a famous book. And so the main thing I feel about like being here and being here with like writer Paul is like just happy for Paul. And then obviously that's really bittersweet because he's not seeing it. Um, but it's like the, you know, it took me a long time to come to terms with that and just like have these fantasies about like somehow like meeting him and some like, like cosmic alley and being like, (laughs) I brought you something and it's his book, you know? And it's like, so, Mm. um, it took me a long time to be like, well, like it was enough that he, had time with Katie. It was enough that he like wrote this manuscript. It was enough that he like really did feel like he came to terms with dying and like, that's going to have to be enough because that's what there was. Mm -hmm. And so any continuation about the book just feels like this, like his legacy is really important to me because it was important to him. And then I think like what ended up happening for me is that I had to work a lot with Random House to get the book out and like put pieces together that weren't in order, like bring in some essays from med school because it wasn't long enough and like um, choose the cover and these various things that just literally were like a continuation of his work. And that, sorry, this is such a long answer. No, this is great. Oh my gosh, don't apologize. That was like really nice. Like, because it's like, I that was really nice just as a, like partner to sort of like continue in this like partnership of the project of his book, because I was participating in that when he was alive, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Like we can, you can take like this off label, like Ritalin and Zofran so that you can like stay awake and stay in the chair and be able to write. Like it just was, there was so much logistics Mm -hmm. of like advanced cancer, like how someone can continue to physically and mentally do things they want to do. And so it's like, there was a lot and we were, had a newborn baby at the time. So it's like, everything oh was a gosh, project yeah. and in a really good way. And we were like really partners and he was, um, you know, he was becoming really weak, um, physically, but also was like, like an alive and engaged partner with me. And then the crazy thing was, it's like, I knew he was going to die I knew he was going to die. I, and then at a certain point I knew that like today's the day he's going to die. And then at the same time when he actually died, it was like so shocking because he just disappeared. Mm. Like I found that honestly so 
bananas. Oh my gosh. Just to be like, he was here and then now he's just not here. Oh, yeah. Like he's not here. And I think it's like somehow that just really shocked me and it just really something about that was so shocking. Anyway, so to have the book to keep going mm-hmm. on for him with him was just wonderful. And then what actually has happened to me since. So Paul's book came out eight years ago and he died nine years ago. And I'm a physician who's a primary, I'm a primary care doctor and I almost became a palliative care doctor. This was like back when Paul was healthy and we were training together. And then I was doing a fellowship in healthcare costs and thinking about high value care and, you know, patient centered care. And then he got sick and then like the patient centered care was him. And I was like, I have tools to be supporting him. Like I've like, how did this happen? That like, I, I am me. And now like, my, you know, I can do this for him too. Mm. And so, um, I used to be a bit more of like a policy implementation person in healthcare. And now that sort of storytelling that I got thrust into, um, doing a book tour for Paul has changed the course of my own career, my own thinking in medicine. And, um, you know, like thinking about where the business case and healthcare for, you know, higher value care intersects with the moral case for making care better for actual people. And so, um, I feel like maybe it would have felt a little different if I hadn't been a physician or something, but it just like, it was really helpful for me personally. And then really interesting to me professionally. And, um, it hasn't felt like, yeah, I don't know. It just it just has been meaningful and connecting for me. Oh my gosh, yeah. And not like not like a weird shadow. Yeah, it feels right. more yeah. like an I anger. I purposely just I could feel myself almost using that word shadow and I really didn't want to use yeah. it because I because I, I I think real quick I'll just say I wondered about those early years, you know, after the book got yeah. so, you know, widely recognized if there, there was a feeling of that, but what, you know, what I'll say is no. what I'm hearing no. is, is you said <laughs> yeah. the word seamless, which is just like a lovely, like this is, mm. this is the legacy, right? This is what it means actually to be in lineage with our dead. And, and, and so mm. I, I think, you know, and I don't, I don't mean to say mm-hmm. my mom died and it's the same thing as what you went through. Cause I know absolutely it's not, but there's a way it'd be like me saying, well, I'm in the shadow of my mom. Cause I'm here talking talking with you and have done all the work I do, yeah, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. that's not right. true. No, great analogy. You know? right. right. Yeah. It's like, it's all mixed together. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like all the fancy bits, like, mm. you know, he got nominated for a Pulitzer prize and like, he <laughs> right. just like all that. I mean, that fancy stuff, that's not me. Like that's him, but <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the, that's right. the like partnership in the like project and the thinking, mm. I, I really relate to and feel part of with him. Yeah. There's, there's probably 30 things I want to ask out of everything you just shared, but I'm going to try to <laughs> try to keep track and keep it simple. One thing I want to make sure absolutely we talk about, and maybe we can do this because I'm not going to forget to, to talk to you about like what it means to be in relationship to Paul now. Um, yeah. And I mean that like in how it informs how you're alive and how it informs yeah. your relationship with Katie and how it informs your work. You know, that all, that is something I really would love to make some time for. But what I'd like to talk about uh, because you just brought it in, um, and it matters to me a lot. And I think about this with children who die and Steven mm. Jenkinson. I don't know if you know his work. Um, no. I would recommend it. He's, he's 
definitely like maybe like one of the other handful of books that have mattered. Die Wise uh, is one of my favorite uh, books that really influenced me so deeply. Um, but he worked in palliative care and worked in palliative care, you know, p- pediatric uh, palliative care. And one chapter of that book is just all about, you know, children dying and this idea, right, that we have as a culture that, um, and it's complicated, what it means to have like a fully lived life mm. and to, to actually like dishonor a child's, you know, and their life and then death yeah. because, because yeah. you're like, well, we missed out on, you know, like, and, and it's also mm. true, right? I mean, if my child, you know, like <laughs> it's not hard for me to get anyone feeling that way or articulating that, but then also I wonder about enoughness, you know, and what it means to say mm. like, this was enough. And this was fully yeah. alive. Paul was wholly yeah. and fully here, like, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. You know, so I wanted yeah. to kind of stay with yeah. that. And I wonder, especially with like your work since, maybe how that that specifically has maybe that specifically how that's informed your life and your work, and and maybe some of your work with with the dying when that's sort of how which how what is enough like it. in the enoughness of of a yeah. yeah. And you might be like, yeah. oh, that's a big one, but you kind of mentioned it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just was something I had to like go through. It's really interesting about the thing with a child. Cause like, maybe it actually did feel enough to them as in their like childhood, short life existence, but then like, it's not enough for the parents right, right. or like the idea of what they could have had is like, this is obviously sort of like this huge, like ongoing missing space. Yeah, right. right. Um, and I think like that it just brings up this idea. I guess the thing that popped into my mind when you were talking about it, like is, um, by the way, I really don't mean to presume like I haven't come, I have friends who've lost children, but I haven't been through that pain. And so, um, I think there's probably just like a absolute never enoughness. Um, I don't mean to presume. Um, but I do think it's like this happened for Paul, right? When he was diagnosed with cancer and he's finishing his neurosurgery residency and he was diagnosed with advanced cancer, um, suddenly. And you do realize like how much of, how much of your identity in the present moment is tied up in expectation or tied up in the sort of sense of who you're becoming and who you could become and what you're working toward, you know? Um, Mm. and I think like having children, it's like that, too. It's like you are parenting like a current person and a future person who you're trying to like walk into something. But, and I feel, but I feel like that is its own thing. Yeah. Cause you're like, well, this person is not made out of my expectation. Yeah, but I know what you but, mean, right? You're saying you, it's like, you want to set them like, up for like a way of being in the world and being in the world. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, but then you're like, well, you're not me, but um, no, but I guess I think I think we sort of do have like unarticulated to ourselves, like a set of expectations of like what we sort of expect or feel entitled to. And then, you know, maybe it's just never enough. And so what you were just talking about, about like, we're going to record this podcast and like, who knows if it'll even get out there, but like this moment is also the moment, like this is enough, Mm um, whether or not we publish Mm -hmm. it. And so, um, That's right. Yeah. And then I think there's like a flip side, right? Which is like, 
if you think about, we were just talking about like Paul and Paul died and then Paul didn't know that his book would get published and he did really care about that. So I wish he had known it, but there's also this sort of flip side, which is like, you do all these things in your life that you never know, like what the ripples of them will be. And like, you'll never even see like half of it. Mm. Um, and I feel like having that sort of idea of like, you just don't even, I, I don't know. I, that helps me think it's all enough too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you said it already is that it's like with my mom, you know, they're, they're, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm like, keep comparing those losses, but, but I'm just connect. There's I'm things that connect, you know, and it is the yeah. like yeah. coming to terms with the enoughness of how my mom was in my life and when she left mm. and that's hard. I mean, I feel like parent child is like both mm. of the, that's like bi-directional thing, mm-hmm. right? You just mentioned child mm-hmm. and you're mentioning your parent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I guess, you know, that does kind of help segue back into what I also wanted to talk about. And that is the, there is like a coming to coming to terms. I feel like with my mom, there were things, especially in the first like four years or so after she died. Um, it's like, I think I started learning them what it meant to be in relationship with her still. Cause there was stuff I was really like wrestling mm-hmm. with around uh, mm-hmm. no surprise, but mm-hmm. like, I mean, even very specific things, you know, like certain moments in those, that last week or two of her life that mm-hmm. I just kind of haunted mm-hmm. me. And, and so mm-hmm. what it, what I think it led to is like healing some of that, not like just, you know, slowly it didn't hurt anymore. Cause time passed. Like I really, before I did anything, you're going to die. I was going to, I went to therapy. It was the first time I ever went to therapy. I was in a bereavement group for the loss mm, of a parent. I mean, I don't even know yeah. how that happened. You know, 26 uh-huh. years old, uh-huh. my dad certainly, you know, I didn't have like a parent yeah, leading me. In. Yeah. And thank goodness. Yeah. However, it, that doorway opened. Um, it mattered so much to engage immediately Mm. with these things. And I think what it allowed for sense is that I feel absolutely in relationship to her still, you know, and Mm. have her as a presence Mm -hmm. in my life still. I mean, even in this conversation, right? Like it's here last night, Mm. like I said it to the audience, I'm like, do you feel, did you notice my mom just walked in just that feeling of our dead Mm. sort of populating the space because we've, we've invited it or we've made time for them. And so I'm wondering for you and, and Paul, you know, I, I know your New York times, uh, piece of my marriage. Um, <clears throat> my marriage didn't end when I became a widow. Um, mm. like that's, a, that's quite a few years ago. Um, I'm just wondering like, what's the version of the, the article now? Like what's the, what's the piece you'd write now that yeah. kind of connects to this? Yeah. Um, weirdly, I'm actually working on it. Oh yeah. Kind of. Um, Yeah. (laughs) They're like (laughs) random house is going to do like a next publicity thing for Paul's book. And Mm. they were like, what would you like to do? And I was like, well, I keep chewing on all these ideas that actually are about parenting. Like, yeah, I'm, it's thinking about how to parent somebody who's really different from you and thinking about, Oh, I really thought I was going to be perfect at this, but it turns out like every parent does so much wrong. And that's like very helpful slash like not comforting. And so, um, it's, it's about that, but I like, um, I came across this quote, um, by Celeste Ng and I'll just read it. She says, this is like so interesting. She's talking about children, but I ended up feeling this way about Paul too. So she says, um, 
to a parent, your child wasn't just a person. Your child was a place, a kind of Narnia, a vast eternal place where the present you were living and the past you remembered and the future you longed for all existed at once. So that's like really a summation of what we were just talking about, right? So your child is a place where there's like a past and you know, like all of those selves for them and then the present and then the future you long for, for them. So like, that's really interesting. But when I read it, I was like, Oh, that's what Paul feels Mm. like to me. Like Paul these days feels like a place. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. It's kind of hard to describe, but it's like, he's maybe it's like, part of it is that he's kind of everywhere. Like he's nowhere, but he's kind of everywhere. And so that like makes it feel like a place instead of just like a guy who could walk in the door. It's like, he's like a feeling and he's a set of values and he's like, a bunch of funny stories that are just swirling around. And like, so I don't know. I think that's maybe what he feels like for me now today. Um, and that said, like, sometime I'm like, what if, what if he was like, what if he was like suddenly showed up and he like, then he wouldn't be a place at all. And like, that makes me feel like really sad. Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> You know? Yeah. To like return to when he was a body and he was, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. I said that thing about the share at the open mic, you know, what I said to her after she got off stage was like, you just need the place to soften, you know? And so I don't know if you connect to that with what the quote, you know, this idea of Paul as a place. Yeah. He's everywhere feels different from he's a place. Um, He's everywhere. sounds Mm. to me like, well, Mm -hmm. it comes up. We're talking about it. Like it's, it's going to be coming up because you've got to do, you know, this book is going to get, you know, from random house. Um, And that's a way where it's like, you have these maybe constant reminders more than the average partner. Yeah. I guess what I mean is like, he's like a, he's like a ground groundingness. Like he's a center. Mm -hmm. So he's a place in that way Mm -hmm. for me. When he was a, and it's interesting because also like I, it's like I'm writing this essay about Paul and Katie and like what it is like to be a parent. Cause Katie doesn't feel like a place to me. Actually. She feels like, she feels like an animal on the move. Like she feels like she, it's different. It's a different, she's very like, you know, she's, has she always, has she always um, felt that way or is it just a stage you're sort of. Well, it's not meant to feel weird. It's just like, I I feel like I'm chasing her, right? Like I feel like I'm like, okay, like where are we going next? Where are we going next? And so she's not a place and Mm. there's like telescoping, you know, I know all these versions of her, but the one that matters is the one that's That's here right right now. So, um, yeah, that's not meant to sound weird. I just no, mean she's she's like yeah. she's mysterious to me because she's not me. Well, because what and I then, wondered about it is about, like, do you say like Paul? Like this is funny. This is I'm sorry. We're gonna get super <laughs> get stripped out here. Sorry, no, this, this is, is like, great. So, yeah. I love it. The place <laughs> is like place is sort of like the sort of the theory of this thing, like how it makes me feel. And then like we're talking about yeah. kids. Sort of originally the quote meant that right that the child is 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 yeah. like a place. And then and then suddenly. Um, I'm wondering like when you describe her as an animal, is, has it been like since she could frigging walk? Is that how you felt about having Katie? Is it been an ongoing experience? Like instead of place, Katie yeah. is like the animal on the move that you're sort of like compelled and drawn forth like, by. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think it's as she's getting older. That's right. Yeah. And then okay. so it's I'm a stage. like relating to her as a person. Mm-hmm. I'm not just like, it's your nap time. It's That's like, right. what do you oh need? Who gosh. are you? And and she's really different from me. I think she's much more similar to Paul mm. than than she is to me. And, but then also she's different and she's herself and she's, you know, but I think it's, you know, figuring out how to, like how to live with anyone. Right. But then especially when like, you're the person who is trying to anchor them and launch them. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot. Yeah. So yeah, I just, I I really want to do a good job about Mm -hmm. it. And I, that's, I think that's why I was going to say one other thing about, um, Oh yeah. No, I was, uh, okay. Well, what I was going to say is just like, I'm writing this essay, <laughs> writing this essay about parenting and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then I'm like, okay, who's my real audience for this essay? Mm. I was like, my audience for this essay, other than me is like future Katie, because, oh, yeah. you know, this essay is about her and she's a person and it's about how parenting is hard, but it, it's like, it's actually about how much I love mm-hmm. her and how much I like want to do a good job for her. Right. right? So I'm like, okay, it's for Katie. And then I'm like, also like some like hopefully near term, like future boyfriend of mine is reading this potentially. So then I'm like, (laughs) if they Google me, right. So then it's like, and it's like, it's not only about Paul and like, I'm not only about Paul. And Mm. so, and I think it's like very possible to love two people and it's very possible to like love someone after loss. Mm -hmm. And so it's just interesting because it's like, we're talking about Paul, but then I am also living in this like other future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's all just so good. Um, Katie is eight or so now. Nine Nine years old. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I mean that just that whole other piece, which is how, how she's Paul, you know, and you, like you said it, yeah, she's yeah. More, more like him or, and then even having moments you're like, oh my God, like your eyes or, you know, <laughs> do you have those moments right. with her? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. And part of it is like, so Paul, I'm white and Paul was Indian and, and she's kind of like brown in between. And so it's just really interesting because she just there's that like Paul, it's like literally like having Paul reflected back at me because she clearly did not come just from me. So that's, Mm -hmm. even though it's like the two of us here, it's like even physically we're like linked by Paul. You know, I, I, I thought about this and was like, there's no way we're going to talk about this stuff, but I also, you, you've kind of brought it up and it is just that piece of since Paul has died since Paul died, um, what it's been like, and you could be like, I don't need to get into that, but you brought up like a future boyfriend and I'm just kind of like thinking about that piece, like what it means to, yeah, find and make room for love and to ever be ready to when that occurs. I I don't even know what I'm throwing at you right now. You're like, yeah, it's crazy. You want to set me up is what I'm hearing. Thank you. So, (laughs) so like, well, I don't know. I mean, I had one boyfriend since Paul died, one serious boyfriend Mm -hmm. and that was a surprise. And he was someone who was also like recently bereaved. So there was actually, it was complicated, Mm. but also wasn't complicated because of that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like love is always surprising. You know, it's like always surprising. doesn't matter what for everyone. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you just sort of like follow your instincts and your gut on it. Um, 
But I imagine there's the like, I'm not ready. Yeah, I think or like that's years true. where you for sure were like, I'm not, there's no way I'm looking right. for it. You no, know, like that's it won't true. surprise me because I'm not. That's yeah, true. Right, and I'm then at a certain attention. point you realize you're like, oh, yeah, look, the pilot lights back on again. So like, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> right. I think like nice. the problem for, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I also think it's very interesting. Like there's this thing about how like, (laughs) you know, like men, when their partner dies, like half of them are remarried in a year and then women, like a lot of people aren't. And I -hmm. wonder about that. I think like all the old ladies I know have a boyfriend. They're like, I am going out with my boyfriend Mm -hmm. tonight. Like all these like 80 and 70 year old, like neighborhood friends of mine. And I'm like, Oh, that's so interesting. Like, that's like what Mm. these ladies are like, this is what I want. And, um, Right now I feel really ready to be in a relationship, like whatever that would mean. Mm. But for a long time, I kind of didn't, but it was sort of because I was like becoming really happy. Like I was like, Mm. I feel like I have so much emotional intimacy, like all over the place. And like female friendships are so intimate and Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just was like, it would be great to have, be having sex with someone, but like, I feel very much like my like emotional needs are like met just with like a bigger center of gravity and like a bigger net, mm. you know? So, mm-hmm. but I think that's actually a good place to come at a relationship from, you know, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, right. Yeah. That's how you can that's have a relationship like as grownups. Yeah. Yeah. That's the readiness. Yeah. yeah isn't like that interesting? And full yeah. And, yeah. But then totally. I'm like not taking yeah. any action on it, partly because I like really <laughs> believe in love. Like I'm just like, love will find me sitting on my <laughs> yeah, sofa yeah. in San Mateo. Like it's like. <laughs> Everybody, I just want to do one of those quick moments and encourage you in a specific way to support You're Going to Die, the podcast. First of all, thank you for listening. Second of all, rate and review this frigging podcast. I'm seeing those numbers just slowly creep up. And if you haven't done it yet, and especially if you've listened to more than just this episode, please go and rate and review the show in your app now, whatever app it is find the place where you can add stars and especially go and add words of acknowledgement because people see those, especially us, and they matter a ton. So if it's your first time listening or if you're a longtime listener, please rate and review the show. And if you don't know how to do it, just send us an email at pod at yg2d.com. That email is great, by the way, for messages you may want to send privately to the team, suggestions, guest recommendations, maybe feedback or particular long-winded reviews that you'd like to share that you're not able to fit in your app's rating and review section. So pod at YG2D, please reach out. And did I mention that you should rate and review the show? Oh my gosh, definitely rate and review the show. Okay. Yeah, no, our marriage was like in a difficult place um, because 
I mean, he was working literally a hundred hours right, a week that was, and that was, I was working a lot as a physician. And I think like moreover, honestly, I think part of it was that, I mean, most of it was like the work crush of being a neurosurgeon. And then I was like, I'm not sure this is going to get better when you're done training. Cause like, look around mm. everyone's like, you know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. um, like people's <laughs> relationships dissolving. Right. Like you can also yeah. get all your needs met at the hospital. And it's, mm. it's just like, there's a whole different other life that is consuming you. And it's hard to be in a partnership in that. Um, but, um, yeah. And I think like there was another piece, which was like, I hadn't yet, even after all that time being married, which was like, I don't know, over, you know, almost a decade or something. Um, I hadn't yet figured out like how to, how to let him be an introvert, like how to let him like not tell me like every mm -hmm. feeling he was having as mm -hmm. soon as he had it, mm -hmm. you know? And, mm -hmm. um, and then he got diagnosed with this terrible cancer. And I had been, I had an Airbnb to go take a break and he knew it. And then he got this cancer diagnosis and I was like, I will never leave you. And that, that felt so obvious to both of us. I mean, like the, the thing that was making it so hard is that we really loved each other and we were really in love with each other. Um, so then it's really hard to feel lonely and not know what to do and like what's happening and what do we each need? And, um, it just, it became a different life and it became a different marriage, but it, it's really interesting how even that can happen. Um, you know, and then he died and I, I like shook with grief for a year, you know, it's like, of course. And I think mm. there's just like multiple truths you can have and it became mm -hmm. a different other truth. Mm -hmm. I just, um, now I want to talk about that year, but I want to just stay mm. with this, stay with this, uh, this thing I'm realizing or, or feeling a lot, which is, you know, there's a way that, uh, his dying really gave you each other. Mm. You know, it's like if, if he hadn't, yeah. you know, if he hadn't, you know, and I'm, I'm who knows, like you would have worked yeah. it out. You guys would have stayed together because he loved each other and just right. figured it out right. because that, right. that you loved each other. But there's right. a part of me that hears that story is like you were at a crossroads in that moment. Yeah. The work was doing what it does and the career was going to keep doing that. And you were like, this isn't working. And then in a way, this diagnosis was like, you need to slow down and like, you just got to have him in a way. Um, yeah. I don't know. Is that, yeah. Or it's just like, yeah, that? I guess so. Sort of not exactly, but mm. yeah. Let me think for a second. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't quite relate resonate with that because I'm just it crying. was so terrible. <laughs> I'm just crying like it was over so here. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it just was so terrible yeah, that course. I'm not like, oh, no, that was, yeah. you know, but, um, like it just became so hard. It, 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 what actually, what it actually felt like was like, it became so hard. Like life was suddenly mm. like so hard that there was like nothing else to do other than like, try to do it together. Mm -hmm. Like that's what it kind of yeah. was like. Yeah. It wasn't even a question. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. 
And then, and in then that it's way, just yeah. like, do, yeah. then just to be like, yeah, I love you. And I always loved you. And this is like, and I, for me, I had this other version of it, which was just like, how did we like, we met as first year medical students and then trained as doctors and then became residents and residency. And it's like, we sort of like grew up together, but grew up together, like as doctors and then talking about patients and talking about ethics and talking about like, you know, to death and also like, you know, like all of it. And then yeah. suddenly to have him be sick was like, yeah. how did we end up together in this place with like this past experience mm. with each other that also sort of like made sense, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. I'm sorry to assume I'm so emotionally something like his dying you know, because it feels like sort of no, accidentally no, I mean, like I a, gift, that's a gift, true. Of, that's, the gift I, of the no, heart, no, you know, no, I don't mean that. It actually didn't feel like you were okay. saying, I, I'm down with it. Okay. I'm down with it. I just I think I have a different, like, yeah, I have totally. a different, <laughs> no, no, I just have a different story written, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that totally makes sense. I think my question is backed by this sort of dramatic, like sliding doors analogy, you know, where it's like, if that hadn't sure, happened, sure, you would have, yeah. you know, no, you would have right. just, but, but also you love right. each other so much. If you could fucking right. go through what you went through with him, yeah. you would have figured out the career stuff too. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I know. That's, right. that's totally. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you brought up, um, just that shaking and grief year and geez, Lucy just parenting and all the other stuff. I'm, I'm just kind of wondering if we can make a moment for that year. Yeah. If there's, if there's more to share about it. Um, I don't know that I have more of a question than like, if you want to kind of describe that, you know, maybe like what it took yeah. to get through it and, Oh yeah. I don't know. Just kind of whatever you feel like sharing. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. Like the shaking thing. Um, I, I was surprised by like, I mean, just one thing that brings to mind when you ask this is like, I was surprised how physical grief was, you know, and like, you know, sleeplessness is an obvious one or like I, for a while, I like literally forgot how to chew. I would just put food in my mouth and be like, what am I supposed to do with this? I really oh like, gosh, am I supposed yeah. to just go like this? Uh, like what, it, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just like, what is this food yeah, doing yeah, in here? And yeah. so like, just like, it's very, it's like physical, but, um. but also like, I mean, the things working, I had talked before about how like working on the book for Paul with Paul was like very sustaining after he died. And then oh, yeah. taking care of Katie was obviously like extremely grounding. Mm. And then I was, I actually connected with Nora McInerney's like Facebook group at the time. This mm -hmm. was like ultimately dissolved and transferred to a different thing. And she's got a million new projects, but, um, she's a widow and she made this Facebook group at the time called hot young widows club. And it was probably like a thousand people or something in it ultimately. And it was just amazing. Like it was amazing in the middle of the night when I felt so lonely to like go oh, read what yeah, these people were writing. Sure. And it's like, some people were like writing these really profound things. And other people were saying like, I'm sleeping my way. I've like, you know, I'm, fucking my way through this with a bunch of other people. Mm -hmm. What are you guys doing? And mm -hmm. then one person's like, I went back to the Verizon store and took my husband's phone back and then cried for two hours with the guy at the Verizon store. Like mm -hmm. just these weird stories that you totally relate to that no one else would really know. Yeah. And that was really helpful. And, you know, I have a lot of friends who were so helpful. And at the same time, 
I went through that whole year with like my hands, like burning and tingling. I had like neurologic symptoms in my hands. Mm. Um, and I read a poem once about this guy grieving. Actually a friend sent it to me during that like hand symptoms. And it, it was like, I'm walking and my wrists are broken. I had this line about my wrists are broken, mm. like in grief. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's like, mm -hmm. what it's like. And, um, I felt so lonely. I felt so lonely. Like people would come over for dinner and I would just be like, you could just be here or not here. Mm -hmm. Sort of doesn't matter. And yeah. like, of course it mattered. Yeah. It was like a little bit similar to being depressed, right? Where you're just like, I am, I'm in a different space and I don't know how to come I don't know how to reach out of it. And so I felt like being with other grievers was really helpful. Oh I think gosh, that's part yeah, of why totally. like support groups can be so helpful. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. Right. Um, and then, um, and then my mom was like, it won't always feel like this. I promise it won't. And I was like, how would my mom know that? But she was right. I mean, like she was right. It's just like nothing lasts forever. Mm -hmm. Like nothing lasts forever. Um, mm. including like that weight. Yeah. You know, but you can't rush through it. I think you sort of like have to feel your feelings. Yeah. Um, like you were talking about, there's like, you have to, f you have, there's no way through except for through. Yeah. I mean, what you did with that group, um, feels like what I got out of that bereavement group. I wasn't just like grief. Mm -hmm. It was loss of a parent, you know? So we would sit around yes, and you're yes. right. I would go some yeah. weeks and not talk and just listening mm -hmm. to other people. By the way, like mm -hmm. so many unique, different relationships and issues, obviously, and, um, and yeah. I'm sure the same for for you in, in that in that context. But just having someone who, like, I connected to the basic like loss, right, the core loss, uh, yeah. meant yeah. it was huge. I mean, really, like the beginning yeah. of you're going to die, maybe even was that context, right? So many mm. of these were the cancer patient workshops, Ooh, the yeah, prison and context. it was like so communal yeah. and mm -hmm. like real. Yeah. Mm, it is this like, totally. I do art for recovery wow. and it's all about like creativity and, and, and art. And we want that self-expression and it's a kind of medicine. And that's absolutely what we believe. Right. And, uh, it's more about being with other people who understand, right. Mm, that's probably yeah, like more yeah, important than yeah. anything in that context is people like, like making the art. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. I did want to connect something you shared about your hands to that part of Paul's, Paul's book. Um, when I think it must've been maybe his mom whose dad died and how she was having mm, those yes. like seizures. Yeah, she you know? had pseudo-seizures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, she had like psychogenic seizures. It's it's really wild. Yeah, yeah, so wild. Her dad died and she had seizures for like a number of years. Yeah. yeah. Um, do, you, do you feel like talking about, I guess now, kind of like your relationship to Paul now and, and sort of how it influences mm -hmm. your context as a mother and, and being in the world just personally, but, but, you know, especially kind of curious too about your work and connections mm, between yeah. all of that and what you're doing now, um, in the ways you feel are like very bound or, you know, I know that's kind of a big question, but it sort of matters to me just that general, like, how are you in relationship to Paul now is, is really, is really the question. Yeah. No, I feel like, I guess there's like a lot of different levels to it. I think, I think about like, I don't exactly have like conversations with Paul in my mind, but like, I do think a lot about what was important to him 
and like how to help Katie like engage with those things that were important to him. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, kind of like big, simple things like do your best. Right. Like, but things like that. And then when I'm thinking about like him as a person, like he, I think of like physically being like with him next to him in a bed. I like, I think I would like, yeah, I, I think about that. But I also just think about like, him telling me that I'm doing a great job. Like he used to be like, you're doing a great job. Yeah, right. Like so. just like, uh, you know, and I can like still hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else, I mean, in my work, my work is just really different because of what happened with our family. So it's like, I'm doing things like this conversation today. Right. Or like yeah. doing talks in medicine about like, end of life care and Mm -hmm. like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I'm not quite sure how to answer it. Um, I mean, that's the, that's an, that's the answer, I guess, you know, I mean, one of your notes in the Google form was like end of life care. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to say that like that, could be saved for a totally other conversation. You know, like I just feel like there's so yeah. much knowledge you have and so much from your work that you could share. And that's like another hour, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, and then maybe like, maybe we will get to have that sometime in the future, uh, for the show. Um, cause this feels like everything I wanted before talking about that. Cause it matters to me a lot <laughs> that you're, you're yeah. in the world doing that work because of what happened to your family, you know, how it's so connected. Um, you know, what's interesting is like thinking about the end of life care thing. I mean, I hear what you're saying is like, okay, yeah, we're not going to get into the nuts and bolts exactly. But like one thing I was reflecting on, especially when you were talking about how your mom's last week was really hard. Like, I think about this a lot with patients too. And just like how complex, like dying is like physically, like technologically, emotionally, and like, really like no one does it perfectly and there's like no perfect advice. And like, all you can do is just like do your best. And then that has to be enough, you know, but that's really hard. I think when you're the grieving person, Paul said a nice thing about that actually, when we were, when he was like really pretty sick and then we were doing this advanced directive. I was like, I think we should do your advanced directive. And he's like, I think we should do your advanced directive. And I was like, fair enough. I was like, okay, fine. It was like really amazing. Uh, yeah. I was like, cool, cool, cool. That's You're hilarious. right. And, and then we were like talking about it. And he was like, I just got to say, he's like, I can tell you are going to do a great job. And also that you might beat yourself up. And he's like, I just want to let you know, like if anything really goes off the rails and there's like something about the way I died that is really traumatic for you or you think was traumatic for me, he was like, just remember like the last day of your life is not the sum of your life. He's like, the sum of your life Mm. is the sum of your life. And he's like, it's just a day. It's just a day. And I was like, wow, that's so like... It was really helpful and like really kind. I mean, just to like be saying that to me.
as if there is any way I didn't make it clear enough yet how grateful I am to have had Dr. Lucy on the show. Thank you, Lucy. So, so meaningful to talk to you. This feeling I have repeatedly on the show where I get to talk to someone that connects to something that's had such a significant impact on me and my history doing what we do with You're Going to Die. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And when I asked, tell me ways we could support her and her work and what she's up to in the world, she mainly just sent me to other nonprofits, other organizations y'all should check out and contribute to, including Be a Hero. BeAHeroFund.com, Camp Kissum at Kesem.org, K-E-S-E-M.org, and then Caring Across Generations. Uh, the website is CaringAcross.org, and all these links will be in the show notes, including some other links to connect up to Dr. Lucy Kalanithi's work. You can find it all in the show notes. Thank you, Lucy, so, so much. Nick Jaina, hi, how are you? Hello, I'm Okay. How are you? Okay. I'm, I'm okay. I am. Um, it feels good to be with you um, now that we're both just have acknowledged that we're okay. Um, um, there's, there's no better place to be than um, okay with someone else who's, who's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have a new idea of how to like approach the, the, the how are you question or the, the, oh, okay. the how are you answer. You know, the, you know the way that like bees will go out and like search for some, some flowers and then they come back in and they do a little dance, you know, like I, I think that kind of response would be nice that like a dance about like the journey of how I've been since the last time we talked. Would You're telling me you're going to sh- like with your body. This is a, just one option, a proposal of a way that this could <laughs> unfold. Not ideal for a podcast, but you're just saying when you and I meet in person next time or on video, we could dance to show each other how we are. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Like uh, all the all yeah. the ups and downs and like how profound and how great it's been, you know? I would say recently I talked to a dear friend about uh, their journey with sexuality and the ways it connects to their body and, 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 and their relationship. And what I think I haven't done enough of in my life with myself uh, sort of my journey of like self-exploration and discovery and growth is, is especially like body focused ways of being in the world. And I think even with our organization, it's a new stage. Like recently we had a grief and healing workshop where we had sound healing at the end. It's this real acknowledgement of like lay down and let us like care for your body being. And so I like this because I don't like it this idea of dancing in front of anybody um, is not an inclination of mine. Mm. I'd much rather like talk to get there somehow, express my emotions. But I think maybe as I get older and older, I'm going to need more body ways of like being in the world and communicating new ways to relate to my body, you know? Yeah. I can picture you around 80, like getting up uh, out of bed and like doing a little dance when someone says, more than how ever, are you? Right? And like maybe even yeah. like painting yourself yellow and, and black, you know, just like turning into oh a bee gosh. as you get older. Yeah. Oh, just fully embracing mm-hmm. it. Do you think of yourself as someone who has a strong, like healthy relationship to your body? Do you like, uh, do you like dancing? I do. I'm not sure I've ever seen you dance. Uh, I do. I, I, I like to, it's actually a new year's resolution of mine to, have some movement every day, but like dance, like artistic movement, even just like a minute alone, you know, movement. There you go. 
You're doing it. <laughs> yeah, it felt good. Whoa, I just started swinging my head around everybody. I can tell you, right here at the front lines, it felt, it feels good. Mm-hmm. It, I feel better. Uh, can you answer a question connected to that, which is like, what inspired that resolution? Is there someone in the world that's really like leads that for you or something? Um, it just, all of my tendencies are to go into my head and like for, if there's problems, if there's work to be done, if there's like time, free time, it's like, let's crawl up in my head. Let's do something intellectual, which is great. Mm -hmm. I love myself, but, um, I need to be reminded and remind myself to like shake it out and move downward into my body. And I, I don't always need that to be like literal exercise like that that you know is effortful and like not fun i, I want to find ways of artistic ways of doing that you know um mm. our, our, our friend uh, alicia westerman is like we've talked about like dancing as a ancestral connection like a way to like channel even in your dancing like your grandmother or or, or an ancestor of just thinking about them while you move you know I like that Mm -hmm. approach to it too. Like I'm dancing as a way of like, again, again, like getting out of my head, but like connecting me to something older. Yeah. Yeah. I feel what I felt listening to my friend talk about sort of this sexual exploration and their body and their relationships and all that, um, was that I, I realized that in therapy, I never talked about anything like it. I never bring up sex. I don't talk about like, I don't, I'm not really like very body focused. And, and I feel like I'm missing a whole doorway into my being and maybe even like a chance for healing and transformation, uh, by not engaging, even, even talking about it, but, but also folded into that is the fact that like, I don't do a lot. I don't do go and get massages. I don't, I don't get a lot of body work. And when I have, it's been hugely important for me. Like when I do, I weep when I get body work done. Like I, I'm like knowing like you do and the listeners know how readily I cry. I've had body sessions, body work sessions where I have sobbed like I've never sobbed before. And I still don't make it a regular thing. Although I got a gift this Christmas from the love of my life. She gave me two of those salt soaks, like sessions. Mm. Have you ever done this? Mm, I don't think so. No. You get in the capsule and like it's dark and they close it and you just lay back and it's salt water. So you like just float inside there. Oh, like in the middle of the sensory deprivation. Yeah. Mm, Kind of. yeah, Yeah. Right. And then uh, two of those and then also some other like body tending to the body, um, sessions. Um, and it feels, feels well-timed. Like I need to kind of turn inward, not just personally, but also physically more than ever. So I appreciate your resolution. That's a great gift. Yeah. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. A little nervous. Is it, uh, I'm just curious, is, is there like shame for you around the body or is it just that you Probably. don't think of it? You don't think of giving yourself that? there's definitely shame. I think like you, I do have a head heady thing where it's just like, I'm so, I operate so like upwards into like heart and into my brain and my mouth. Um, but shame to probably some like religious stuff, like church influence stuff around my body. 
um, but also like did not grow up with a lot of tending to the body in my family, like affection and that kind of intimacy as a kid, like nothing like that happening really. Um, in fact, standout moments would be a moment when maybe I like remember my dad once, like really tenderly reaching over to like hold me when I was upset. And, and I remember feeling like something was weird or wrong cause he'd never engage with me in that way, mm-hmm. you know, usually. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like all that stuff's kind of connected to it, which is to my point, right? Like the way we grieve, the way we engage with our own heartbreak, our own emotional landscape that, um, there's so much going on just in our bodies alone. I know a lot of listeners like surprise, duh, like thanks so much for getting to this great revelation, but, but okay. Yeah. I've known that and I'm 46 years old and really haven't made a major commitment to what it might mean to tend to that part of my existence, you know, Mm -hmm. through my body, but maybe just talking with you about it might help. It might have tilted the scales even a little more. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. I mean, I I will just say like the way I approach dancing, I remember uh, Joni Mitchell, I saw a quote from her once that said, um, just react to the music. You know, I'm going to totally butcher what she said. I don't remember what she said, but like, (laughs) um, you know, expressing what you hear and and feel in the music in your limbs, you know, apart from any thoughts of what does this look like or what kind of dancing am I doing or am I dancing to attract someone? Am I, am I whatever, you know, just like feeling the music and like doing your own expression, even completely alone where nobody's watching it, um, is like my interest in that of like, how do I really experience music in my body and have it like transform me more than just like in my ears and in my brain. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll try it too. Great. I'm not going to make a resolution per se. That's fine. But I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a try. I have danced alone and I don't, I, I feel like it was nice. It can have like a sad connotation. And I want to just get rid of that too. I'm just like, this isn't like pitiful or sad. It's like, I don't, I'm not, I don't need to do this to like present something or have it be an art form. Like, uh, yeah. Right, it's right. just for my own like transformation or, you know, like, mm. or de escalating yeah. from my brain into my body. Yeah. Sometimes I think of these closers as like mini episodes of the podcast, Mm. especially when what we talk about has no relation, at least overtly to the guest or the conversation I had with the guest. Um, And so in that way, I feel it's good. This is like a a little extra uh, gift at the end of the episode sometimes for, for us to dig into these things. Thanks. And thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks again to Dr. Lucy Kalanithi. So glad to have you on the show. Thank you, all of you, for listening. I hope your new year is treating you well with spaciousness and ease. And I encourage you to be well-boundaried and let go and trust in your enoughness so that you get done what's needed in the world just perfectly, like you give it all your focus because you're not overwhelming yourself with all the things that this world might feel like it's demanding of you. That's what I'm, that's one of my wishes for you in this new year and this new stage of life and for myself and for you, Nick. Bye everybody. 